you want to turn with me to page 888. As Mark's already said, we're, we're reading from another account, another encounter that someone has had with Jesus. And as we're turning there, if our kids want to go out to their program at City Kids. John 4, 1 to 30, page 888. And so reads God's word. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water swelling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that. I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. 
and pray that God will add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we have just read of an encounter with with you, with the living Christ. And God, as we as we read your word, we know that every time we come to your scripture, that we are encountering you, that you speak to us, you teach us. And Father, help us to to have minds to grasp this and hearts to apply this to our lives. Amen. Growing up, I always wanted to be the best in my school sports teams. Um, I wanted to be liked by everyone, by teachers, by um, classmates, students, parents, anyone. Because I've always struggled with pride. And as a result, I would long for affirmation from people. That confirming for good work or a good performance. And we see that all around the world. We see that people long for things. Conor McGregor said, failure is not an option for me. Success is all I envision. He longs for success. Maybe being a good parent is what you long for. The security of your children not making the same mistakes your parents made, or maybe trying to implement all the really great things that you learned from your parents. Longing to give your children the same experiences, if not better experiences, than you had as a child. Perhaps becoming the best in your field is what you long for. Always chasing a promotion or a pay rise, working for greater commission, meeting bigger and better targets. Whether I've mentioned it now or not, we all have things that we long for, that we thirst for, things that satisfy us, and ultimately, things that we value and things we worship. And what we're going to see through John 4 is that Jesus satisfies every longing and calls us to worship. He satisfies every longing and calls us to worship. And we're going to look at two things, how Jesus does that and what it looks like. How he does it and what it looks like. Last week it was Nicodemus, the teacher of the Pharisees, a religious leader, a guy who came by night claiming to know that Jesus was from God, but was really in spiritual darkness, was spiritually blind, a lack of sight. And this week we come across a Samaritan woman, a lady with a poor reputation, pulls apart from Nicodemus, and a different sense, its thirst, its taste this time. She doesn't understand the satisfaction and the longing that Jesus refers to. And it's not coincidental that we have Nicodemus last week and this Samaritan woman this week. What I want to begin by telling you is that this demonstrates that an encounter with Jesus is not just for, for one type of people or social group or gender. Anyone can encounter Jesus. Anyone can be brought from darkness into light. So how does he do that? We reach a point in John's gospel where it's time for Jesus to move from Judea to Galilee. And what's strange about this is the route that he takes. Verse 4 says that he had to go through Samaria. This was unusual for a Jew. Normally they would have traveled further and walked around Samaria in in order to avoid walking through it. The Jews despised the Samaritans and vice versa. But Jesus had to. 
What we need to know as we go into this encounter is that it is a divine appointment. Jesus had to go there. And Jesus, tired from his travels, stops for a rest beside Jacob's well. It's around the sixth hour. It's the middle of the day. It's the hottest time of the day. Verse 8 tells us that he's alone because the disciples have gone to buy food. So Jesus is standing alone by the well. He's tired. And then the Samaritan woman comes along to draw water. And the first question we think of is, why is this woman, woman coming to draw water at this time of the day? This is not the norm. Women usually came in the cooler hours of the morning to draw their water. And what we'll see as we go through this passage is that the Samaritan woman had a poor reputation. She was the woman that the other women looked down on and gossiped about. And it was just easier for her to draw water when nobody else was about. But Jesus engages with her and he says, give me a drink. Which takes her by surprise. The Jewish custom was that they wouldn't speak to the Samaritans, let alone use something that had been handled and touched by a Samaritan. Jesus is breaking all sorts of boundaries here. Firstly, he's talking to a woman alone. Secondly, she's a Samaritan. Thirdly, he wants her to give him a drink from her water jar. No wonder the woman replies with such shock. But to help us understand this, the dislike between the Jews and the Samaritans, it's not like crossing someone off your Christmas card list um, or not inviting someone to a party. Think more 1950s Mississippi. This is like a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant male walking into the black area of town, strolling up to the water fountain and asking a girl standing there for a drink. Martin Luther King Jr. in his I Have a Dream speech said this, This sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. It's midday for this woman in Samaria. She is not only feeling the sweltering heat of the sun, but of everybody's opinion of her, of her reputation. She feels her discontent. In in a sense, she is longing for that invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. And when Jesus comes up and says, give me a drink, this is blowing all sorts of cultural and social boundaries out of the window. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? She's having on-the-spot culture shock. This shouldn't be happening. And then Jesus exposes her ignorance to the satisfaction that he brings. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is establishing a contrast between the water in the well and the living water that he offers. The Samaritan woman is thinking physical. Verse 11, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? What Jesus is talking about doesn't come from a well. It comes from him. What does Jesus mean when he says, if you knew the gift gift of God? This is a title. The gift of God is a title that the Jews gave to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He is saying that if you understood the history of Israel, 
your roots, where you came from, you would know who it is that comes and stands before you. You would know to ask for the living water. And what we saw in Genesis 29 was Jacob. Jacob goes to a foreign land. He goes to a well. He meets a girl. Sound familiar? Jacob meets Rachel then. She runs home, tells her daddy. And then after, you know, some time, 14 years, he and Rachel get married. Before Jacob comes Isaac. Isaac again went to a foreign land, went to the well, met a girl. Sound familiar? She went home, told daddy. Daddy invites him around for dinner. They get married. If she knew her Old Testament, if she knew the gift of God, if she knew this process, this imagery that's going on here, she wouldn't need to ask, are you greater than our father Jacob? She would be proclaiming, you are the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Samaritans were a breakaway group from the Jews. They worshipped the same God. Hence the Samaritan woman asking, are you greater than our father Jacob? Her thoughts were probably along the lines of, this is Jacob's well, and I know I've just met you, Jesus, and not to be rude, but you're kind of putting it down. You're saying you've got something better than this well that we have after all. It, um, it provided water for Jacob and all his family and all his livestock. You're saying you've got something better. And this opens an avenue that Jesus knew was coming all along. And it furthers the contrast between the water in the well and the living water. And he says, if you drink from this water, you're going to be thirsty again. But the living water that Jesus gives satisfies our thirst and we never thirst again. This is an eternal satisfaction. How does Jesus satisfy every longing we have? He gives us living water. What do we mean by living water? Well, John 7 is helpful on this. 37 to 39 says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The living water is the Spirit. Jesus, through his death, resurrection, ascension, then sends the Holy Spirit as a helper for us when we trust in Jesus as our Savior, the one who covers our sin with his righteousness. This is how Jesus satisfies our every longing. And we'll see how he calls us to worship through the next few verses. The woman wanted this living water that welled up to eternal life. But she didn't get it. She still thought this was something physical, something she could consume. Verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She still doesn't get it. Jesus has set up a foundation of truth in front of this woman. He has told her that he satisfies and he gives eternal life. His authority is that he is God. He is actually greater than Jacob. If she knew the gift of God, if she knew the Old Testament, that would be clear. Which all comes together as Jesus exposes where this woman finds her value and looks for satisfaction. He confronts what she desires and longs and thirsts for in order to call her to worship. Jesus asks her, go and get your husband. 
And her response is that she doesn't have a husband. Jesus replies, yeah, you don't. You've had five, and the man you're with now is not your husband. This is why she was at the well at midday. This is why the other women would have looked down on her. Her discontent was coming from the fact that other women gathered at the well to gossip about her. She was the one that they were afraid of stealing their men. And the discontent grows as she looks for um, affection and love. And it just doesn't seem to last. Jesus is exposing that she is looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. That he is the only one to satisfy and meet our need of love. He is the one we should value. But what do we do? Where do we long for satisfaction? The reality is we look for satisfaction in so many different things. Maybe it's the security of our job, of our marriage, our relationships, family, success. Maybe we try to find satisfaction at the bottom of a bottle or in the slot machines. Something that gives us a momentary fix of pleasure or satisfaction, the slightest thrill to get us through. But what happens? We get thirsty again. The feeling fades, the satisfaction wears away, and we have to go back for more. But Jesus is saying, stop going to those things. Come to me, I am forever. Careers end, people get let go. The drink that you consume for satisfaction quickly becomes something that consumes you. Our spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends, family, they all let us down at some stage. Statistics show that half of marriages end in divorce. Culture speaks for itself. Everything we long for, everything that brings us satisfaction will ultimately fade away and disappoint. If your satisfaction comes from being a good grade student, what happens when you fail a module or you don't get the grades you want or that postgrad you were looking for doesn't happen? What happens when your career brings you satisfaction but you don't get the promotion you were aiming for or you get let go? If, things, if these things let us down or they don't go the way we would want them to and it causes us heartbreak, pain and sadness, and I'm not saying that it's wrong to feel sad and hurt and disappointed when things don't go well. But if these things fall away, our careers, our grades, relationships, if those things disappear and it breaks us and drives us to despair, then we must concede that these things have become what we worship. Because if we were truly worshiping God, then no matter what, we'd get through. This is how Jesus satisfies our every, every longing and calls us to worship. By exposing the futility of the things we think give us satisfaction. When you get affirmation from someone, you want to hear it again and again and again. When someone likes you, they find you attractive, they want to pursue you affectionately, you want them to show their affection time and time again. Because these forms of satisfaction don't really last. They're nice at the moment, but they need topped up. This woman looked at the insight that Jesus gave into her life. She thought he was a prophet, of course. He was, but he was far much more. 
she starts to think of worship and, and where to worship and who is right, the Samaritans or the Jews. Do we, meet, do we worship on the mountain? Do we worship in Jerusalem? But Jesus reveals that it's not about where you go to worship, but it's about how you worship. So we've established that Jesus satisfies our every longing and he calls us to worship. And we've seen how he does that. He exposes those areas of our lives that, that we look for satisfaction that don't fulfill. He shows us that he's far greater. So now we need to think through what that looks like. It all comes together when we understand that we have a longing. Every one of us has a longing. And God seeks us out to fulfill that longing and to bring us to worship him. We worship God in light of who he is. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Well, what does that look like? Well, first it answers the question of the Samaritan woman. Where should we worship? It brings to light that we don't worship at a place, the mountain or Jerusalem, but we worship a person. We worship God. We have relationship our worship should be reflected in the relationship that we have with God. The history of Israel shows us that, that God met with the people at a certain place under specific instructions. But now God dwells within us by his Holy Spirit. We worship God in everything we do. Worshiping God looks like us valuing his name and honoring his name when everyone around us uses it as a swear word. Worshiping God means sacrificing promotion if the boss wants us to do something that we just don't think the Bible agrees with. Worshiping God means trusting in Jesus. If God is, if we, we see here God is spirit. Elsewhere in John's gospel, Jesus says that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. We worship God in spirit and truth by being completely devoted to the Father and to the Son through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God wants us to worship him this way. Worship is not a location. It's a lifestyle. It changes everything. It's not turning up and singing a few songs and listening to the Bible readings and the sermon on Sunday. And while that's a part of it, it's about living a life that is completely devoted to the glory of God. It's amazing that the Samaritan woman is being called to worship. Maybe something you didn't think of. That's not insignificant. Women had no standing in society. And the religious sphere was very much a man's world. It was the men and their boys who went and learned the Torah. They knew their Bibles. They knew the gift of God, the Pentateuch. So for Jesus to call a woman to worship, it's like a guy walking out on the streets before women could vote and calling her in to vote. It's completely counter-cultural, um, counter-societal, and quite frankly, counter-religious. But we don't long after religion, we long after relationship. 
Jesus is calling the Samaritan woman to worship, and that brings to light his grace in interacting with people. Jesus breaks every barrier, everything that would have told this woman that she was no good, that she didn't have the privilege, she wasn't worthy of God's love or having that privilege to worship God, that's been blown out of the water. But this woman still doesn't understand. She's waiting for the Messiah to come while he is standing right in front of her. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Jesus told her how he satisfies every longing. He has called her to worship and told her how and what it looks like. And the pinnacle of the conversation is Jesus saying, I'm the Messiah. I who speak to you am he. I'm the savior of the world. I'm the one you worship. This is how, this is what it looks like. We see the disciples return. And they marvel, they are captivated by the cultural and social questions that they have. What does she want? Why is Jesus talking to her? But they don't say anything. They don't voice their questions. And we're not told why. But I'd say this was probably just a really amazing encounter. Um, And the way that Jesus interacted with this woman in love and grace. The way nobody else probably had was captivating and marvelous. These guys could well have been thinking, Jesus came to a foreign land, he went to a well, he met a girl. Sound familiar? They're thinking, where's her dad? You know, are, are they going to get married? But it's completely different here. The pattern runs up until Jesus goes into the foreign land, he goes into Samaria, He goes to Jacob's well. He meets this girl. But he does not want to meet her father. He wants her to be in relationship with his heavenly father. He wants her to realize that everything is not as it should be. What she longs for to be satisfied doesn't work. But what Jesus has to offer is eternal and it never fails. Jesus astounds this woman. She wants people to come and see him. His message is appealing. Could this be the Christ? My question to you this morning is, how can this not be? How can he know these things? How can he speak with this authority? How can he offer living water to eternal life if he is not the Christ, if he is not God? Maybe you're not a Christian this morning. Maybe you're looking for satisfaction in different areas of life. Does it last? Does it fulfill? Do you have to keep going back time and time again, looking for more? I'm telling you from the Bible, from God's word, that Jesus is enough. Jesus fulfills every longing that we have. He exposes the futility of everything else and calls us to worship him. How do we respond? We say this every week, but it's always true. Mark, myself, Kieran, we'll, we'll be about after the sermon. And if anyone wants to chat through any of that, you know, even just to help make sense of the how and why in responding to trusting Jesus, and what we've looked at today, we're, we're available for that. 
If you're sitting here this morning and you are a Christian, you're thinking, like, yeah, Chris, this is good. You know, this is encouraging and it's helpful, but you're feeling quite dehydrated spiritually. That happens every so often. Things aren't always rosy. It's, it's possible to feel distant from God. Life's tough. That's a reality. And you've heard from the front of this church time and time again of things that are very real hard times for staff members here, for, um, for members of City Church. There are seasons of hurt and pain that seem to never end. Sometimes it seems like the next season is more painful than the last. But with all of this, when Nicodemus encountered Jesus, being born again didn't mean perfection. It didn't mean that he had to be perfect. It didn't mean everything would be fine. In the passage we looked at today, it doesn't tell us explicitly how this encounter with Jesus changed her life domestically. But what God does make clear through these encounters is that he gives us his spirit. He gives us living water to give us a fresh renewal, a strength when we trust in God alone. And of course, sometimes we bring about our own spiritual dehydration by sinning. It's a bit like drinking coffee. Coffee dehydrates. So for every, every cup of water in theory, every cup of coffee in theory, you, know, you should drink at least a glass of water, two glasses of water preferably. I don't. For every glass of water, I would maybe have two to three cups of coffee. The coffee dehydrates, but the water rehydrates. And sometimes I just choose the wrong option. And it's very much like that with sin. Many times we sin against God and we think that was, that was my fault, which it always is. I chose that option willingly. And there have been times when, when I've sinned over and over again and I've done that before coming to God. I've let all this dehydration build up, feeling this distance and lack of fellowship with God before coming to him. But what we need to do, what we should be doing, is coming to God far more than we run into the embrace of pleasure and longings and things that satisfy for a moment and then fade away. It makes us feel distant from God. It makes us feel like we are alone. But this passage in John 4 shows us that, you know, there's no sin that's too great. No desire and no longing is beyond the satisfaction that Jesus offers. He offers a satisfaction that we will never thirst again. We will never have to look anywhere else but in him to fulfill the longing that we all have within us. And it's a work in progress. We're, we're stuck in the now and the not yet. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. This will all come to completion. When we're glorified with Christ in heaven, we will one day be fully satisfied. But at the moment, we live in a fallen world as fallen people who make mistakes. But God is faithful. Jesus is secure and he satisfies our every longing. He calls us to worship. He cannot make those claims if he is not God. If he isn't the promised Messiah and he isn't the savior of the world. 
City Church Dublin, what are we longing for? I'm guilty of longing to see City Church grow numerically and wanting an abundance of musicians to have three or four praise teams. And while, while there's a, a hint of, that's funny, there are days that I long for that more than I long for the glory of God. And I confess that because we sometimes feel that Jesus, doesn't satisfy, that Jesus does satisfy everything in our lives. I would, I would never say that Jesus doesn't satisfy. But there are little things like I've just described, little subtle things that challenge our longing for Jesus, that try and get in the way. But rejoice. Rejoice that whatever you long for, whatever you run to in order to temporarily fill a void of satisfaction, Jesus is better. Jesus is stronger. Jesus is forever. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He isn't like the pay rise that doesn't come. He's not like the career that fails. He isn't like the short-lived satisfaction of a, a, casual, a casual fling or a drink. The truth is that in this world, Jesus is the only constant. He is the only one that will never let you down. Jesus satisfies our every longing and calls us to worship by exposing what we value and long for. He shows us that he enables us to worship by giving us his spirit that we may live lives that long for and are satisfied in the one who meets all our needs in every single way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you show us that you fulfill every longing. You quench every thirst. You are greater than, than anything else. Lord, we confess that we run to, to things that are quick fixes. That give temporal satisfaction. Father, we thank you that you have saved us, that you've changed us, that your spirit lives within. Father, thank you that the psalmist writes that you give us the desires of our hearts. Father, give us more of a desire to long for you above anything else. And help us to love you, to glorify you in every single way.